today uh, is going to be part three of, uh, of our series. So we're going to finish the series today. We're going to start a new series next Sunday. Uh, but this is part three of I Am a Nail. And the title is going to be When Nails Get Nailed. That's going to be fun to unpack. Um, and so let me just kind of start off with this thought right here. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 23, you don't need to turn there. We're going to go to the Samuel scripture in just a minute. But the Bible says this, that the Lord will establish you as a nail. He sa- it reads exactly like this. He will bring honor to his family, for I will drive him firmly in place like a nail in the wall. And I spoke about this last week that um, my friend, when I was just a small boy, his house got hit by a tornado and it was devastating. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. And uh, I'll never forget walking onto the property, seeing debris everywhere. The refrigerator was thrown. the, The roof was torn off. But ironically enough, all of the nails were still in the boards that the people who constructed the house put them in. And so it was really that, that vivid memory stuck with me all these years because when a nail gets placed somewhere, it's there for good. And uh, that's what the Bible says is, is Jesus is going to place you like a nail. So it doesn't mean that storms aren't going to come. Storms are still going to come. But you are going to be able to ride through those storms. You're going to be able to survive those storms. And there's so many different types of storms. There's financial storms, especially in this down market right now. People that are really good at their jobs are losing their jobs because of the market. For some of you, that's a storm. For another uh, person, they're doing fine there. But it's their marriage that's a storm. It's just not going well. And let me just take this as a sidebar. Um, This isn't on my notes, but I just feel compelled to say it. With the number of people that are in this room right now, statistics say more than half of the marriages in here are struggling. Uh, You don't want to give up, but it's just not going well. And I'm not a marriage and family counselor. Uh, We do have one on our staff. But having seen literally thousands of marriages uh, as a pastor, uh, and my father's a pastor as well, having seen up close so many families, what I've learned is that if a couple can sit down with each other and say, okay, I know you're unhappy, I'm unhappy, Uh, we got a long way to go. But if you give me two areas... That if I change these two things, you'll be just a little bit happier. And both do those two things. Momentum begins to move in the right direction. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be hanging from the chandeliers and your sex is going to be unbelievable. Um, I mean, it might be. (laughs) I love looking at my wife when I leave my notes because she's like, Where are you going with this? Uh, but I want to encourage you uh, that there, there, is a, there is a path. And what the Lord is saying when it says, I will place you like a nail, is look, you may have a, a relationship trouble. You may have financial trouble. But I've got you placed like a nail. By the time this rough patch is over, how, 
by the time we get through this season, and all seasons have expiration dates on them, by the time you get through this season, I promise you, you're going to be okay. See, when God places you like a nail, it's a powerful moment. What does that really mean? A nail is spiritual commitment. It's when a person says, I'm not going to be perfect at probably anything in my life. I'm just not. It's just the reality. I, I, I get a membership at 24-hour fitness. I'll never go. You come by my house. I'm, my grass is supposed to be mowed. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. I'm not supposed to be eating ho-hos and bonbons. Well, guess what? Sometimes I do. There's some things that you quit, start, stop. But there's one thing in your life that you just say, I am committed to this. And when you're a nail, you're saying, I am spiritually committed. I'm not going to be perfect, but I am committed to God. And what that looks like is basically you take a banner. It's not anything physical. It's something that's spiritual. But you have made this commitment that you are going to be committed to God. You have made that commitment. If the doors to the church are open, I'm going to walk in there. I might be hung over, but I'm going to be in there. I may have cursed somebody out on the way to church, <laughs> but I'm going to be in there. You know, I'm going to be in there. I am committed to God. I may have to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, seven million times a week. But at the end of it, I'm never going to stop saying, I'm sorry, Lord. And I'm never going to stop calling him my Lord. Is there any nails in the room? Absolutely. And then the second part about being a nail is a nail is committed to others. Now, if you're not a nail, let me see here. I've got in this Ziploc bag. It's not a nail. It's actually a, a pin. I had to put it in here because I knew I, I'd drop it if I, if I didn't. Um, it's not so much a nail. It's, it's just a, a little bit bigger than, than a pin that you would, like, let's say, um, sew your clothes with or uh, a tack board. So here it is. When you're... Uh, you have to know this, that your family, whether you're uh, married, whether you're a husband, a wife, uh, whether you're not married, but you've got cousins, um, sisters, whether you realize it or not, they are depending on you for spiritual strength. Now, us men, and I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm saying this about me as well, we're not typically verbal about our spiritual relationship with God at home. It's just not usually what we are. Now, there's some men in here that are. I'm not, surprisingly. My wife is actually far more verbal at home, around our kids, with each other, about the things of God. I think that has a lot to do with just our makeup. doesn't mean that we love God any less, but here's the thing for us men. It can be simple. Leadership can be simple, but it has to be significant. 
And so when we back up, and if we're not a strong nail, what ends up happening is that our family looks at us, and it's hanging on to, we're not nails, we're little tacks. We got our family on there, and that's what ends up happening. They have nothing to hang on to. When you're a spiritual nail, you're saying, I'm going to be in church, and so are you. I'm going to be in church, and so are you. Now, they may back up and say, well, dad, or mama, da, 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 or hey, hey, girlfriend, your sister, your mother, your son. When you're a nail, you take spiritual leadership. Not that you're perfect, but you lead. Here's the other thing. I said this in our part one. That for many of us, we don't have family in this community. I was reading some demographics about the woodlands. 63% of the people who live in the woodlands are not from the woodlands. Now, I don't know where the other 40-something are coming from because the woodlands have only been around for like 20 years. <laughs> but uh, they're imported. Who moved to where you are from outside of the woodlands or Spring or Conroe, wherever you're from? You moved here. You didn't grow up here. Um, you come here. And so for those of us that don't have family, like my kids' grandparents, one set is in another country, and another one is on the other side of town. We actually see the ones in another country more than we see the ones on the other side of town. Anybody with me on that? And I'm not complaining. Someone say amen. <laughs> so here's the thing. Our friends our siblings that we met later in life. We have friends that are like family. You, you got girls, some of you ladies out there, you've got girlfriends that they're like family. When you are a nail, you are providing spiritual leadership for them. It may not be verbal, may not be out loud. It might be simple, but it's significant. But you are constantly thinking of a way to invite them to church. You are constantly thinking of this. And if you're not, if you kind of blend in. And, and let me just say this. Um, I, I'm in a whole bunch of different circles that are not church circles. My kids are, one kid is on a drama team that's on one side of town. I got a son who's on a basketball team on the other side of town. And when I'm there, I'm not Pastor Frankie. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy. In fact, I had a, a friend come to church for the first time last Sunday and goes, man, it's really weird seeing you wearing a suit. And I was like, you know, it's funny you say that because the people here think it's weird when they don't see me wearing a suit. But when you are in these circles outside of this church, you can't necessarily yell about your relationship with God, but there should be something different. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. There should be something different. If you blend right in, that's a problem. If they feel very comfortable around you um, in ways that... Uh, there should be this nonverbal standard of how you live. And they are looking for leadership. And if there's not, what ends up happening is that our friends are supposed to be leaning on us as nails. But that's what happens. 
But when we are a nail, we back up and we take a responsibility saying, look, the people around us, our sphere of influence, look, not only am I committed to God, but I'm committed to my family, I'm committed to my friends, I'm committed to every person I live life with, this is who I am, I am a nail. Someone say, I am a nail. Absolutely. If you're thinking about this, uh, just kind of a, an overarching banner of today's talk, I want to talk about this right here, that the process that God takes when he is taking us and placing us as a nail into spiritual significance, that process of being placed. And so uh, whenever we back up and we back up and we say to ourselves, I don't see how this rough season could ever be any good. I don't see how what is happening to me could ever be a part of the plan. Let's always remember this, that, that God's plans are better than our dreams. It, his plan was established before you were ever born. And that plan is unbelievable unbelievable does it mean that you're going to be a multi-billionaire no I said unbelievable you know there are multi-millionaires that jump off buildings and end their lives because to check one box in your life of having a lot of money in the account that does not equal a fulfilled unbelievable life I don't know about you I want every box checked. I want plenty of money in the account. I want my, my, my marriage to rock. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be healthy. I want to be secure. I want every single box checked. And when we back up and we go, I don't see how this area is going to work out. I just want you to know God's plan for your life is that every single box is checked. And sometimes when he is placing us in position as a nail, it is incredibly uncomfortable. When you look at the process of a nail being driven into a wall, if you were that nail, things wouldn't be feeling that good. Isn't there a song, I'd rather be a hammer than a nail? Isn't that a song? Or did I just make that up? I'll just move on. How about that? <laughs> Nobody wants that. But when you go through seasons in life where God begins to place you, when he backs up and goes, all right, I'm about to put you in a position of significance, that is rarely enjoyable. Here's the thing. There are four characteristics that are happening whenever you're actually being placed in a position that it's it's when the nail is being nailed we're going to use Hannah as a case study to show what happens whenever you're being positioned as a nail watch this I'm going to butcher two names I'm just going to tell you I say it perfect whenever I'm practicing when you guys aren't around but I butcher it when you're looking at me so just get ready all right first Samuel chapter one verse seven year after year it was the same Penia, did I pronounce that good? All right, good enough. Penia would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears 
and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah, Elkanah, um, I told you, I do it perfect when you're not looking at me. But would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? So here we have Hannah, who cannot have babies. She's got a great husband. Her husband was actually incredibly wealthy. She has a wonderful home. But she's still hurting because she wants a baby. I don't know if you've ever been there before where there's one thing in your life that seems to be overshadowing everything else. The husband could look back and go, well, you have me. And she would say, but I want a baby. Well, look at this beautiful house you have. I know, but I want a baby. Well, look, look at this. We built this together. I know, but I want a baby. I don't know if you've ever been there where there's this, everything is fine except for this one thing. And that one thing is messing everything up. Have you ever been there? Everything is good except for that one thing. Well, she's in the process of being positioned for something incredibly special. But the process is rough. You know you're in the process when, number one, circumstances are, difficult, are desperate. They're desperate. Here she is in the tabernacle. She's in church. She's crying out before God. She's asking God for help. See, circumstances are oftentimes the one thing that God uses to pull you back to himself. See, sometimes he'll watch us live our life as if he's not there. He'll watch us live our life ignoring him. But then he will allow a circumstance to come into our life to make us go, wow, I need you, God. On 9-11, when the planes came into the buildings of New York and the two other planes landed in other places, it was a devastating day in our history. But do you know that the next morning there wasn't a seat open in any church in the United States of America? People ran to the house of God. It's so interesting because when we don't live with prayer being our first option, instead it's actually our last resort. It's a very terrible situation. It's a, it's a rough season to be living in. The Lord backs up and goes, okay, I'm going to allow this season to come. And I'm going to allow this desperate circumstance to come. Hopefully you will turn to me. And this is exactly what Hannah did. She came running to the house of God. Sometimes people run out of the house of God when circumstances are difficult. They get mad, they back up, and they go, well, God, I, you, you're obviously not alive. And if you are alive, you clearly don't care because you're not helping me, so I'll go somewhere else. And they never darken the doors of a church house again. Hannah did the exact opposite. She was in a desperate situation. She's on her knees before God and she's saying, Lord, if you don't help me, then I'm just going to stay here on my knees forever. You are all I got. You are all the hope I have. You're the only one that has never left me. You are the only one that's never forsaken me. When everybody left me, you never left me. Is there anyone here that has lived enough years 
to realize that God was with you when no one else was. Can anyone raise their hand on that? God was with you when no one else was there. God was there. So she continued to worship. She continued to pray. She continued to call out to him. And here's the thing about God. God will one day throw away our wealth, but he saves our tears. There's a scripture I hope all of us save. It's in 56 verse 8. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. For everyone here, if you're going through a season right now where your heart is heavy, this season is being recorded with incredible detail. It is as if there is an angel standing right next to you and recording every single thing that's happening. Every thought you're thinking, every emotion you're feeling, because that's how much God cares. And every tear you have ever cried, whether it was when you were three years old, you thought you were crying by yourself. You were not crying by yourself. There was an angel there that was sent by God with a bottle that caught your tear before it ever fell off your face. Every tear you have ever cried is in a storage room in heaven. And when you get there, the Lord will take you by your hand. After he has hugged you for only time cannot measure, he will hug you and then he will take you to this storage room and show you these volumes of books of every moment you've ever experienced that was sorrowful, that was recorded. Every tear you have ever cried is in a bottle. You have to remember, we all go through difficult seasons. But when we're going through that season, we're being placed. Every season is preparation for the next season. Everything. And so here we go. The first distinction is whenever the circumstances are difficult. But if we begin to run towards the Lord instead of run away from the Lord... The second distinction of being placed as a nail is prayers are sounding. Hannah refused to stop worshiping. There was this girl across the sanctuary who was mocking her. She had kids and she's mocking Hannah for not having kids. It's women like that that you just want to go. Are you with me? It's, it's that kind of woman that you just want to walk up to and just give her, just, a, 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 just play a little game of slap around. Pow, pow. Oh, you got your church face on. That's cool. That's all right. Some of you are like, I just don't know what you're talking about. Here's the thing. She's being mocked. But what does she do? She continues to pray. If you know how to pray, you know how to war. The wonderful thing about praying is you can't pray wrong. And the simplest prayers are usually the most significant prayers. Uh, you don't have to wax eloquent to move the heart of God. And here's the reality that sometimes when you say, I need you, I need you. 
I need you. God, I need you. That is far more powerful than reading an entire psalm that has waxed eloquent with poetic words. Just a desperate cry of, I love you. Sometimes I say this, Lord, I know my actions don't reflect how much I love you, but I want you to know I really do. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? I love you so much. Praying constantly because God is constantly hearing our prayers. And when we back up and we begin to realize that prayers are something that we are committed to, we'll also begin to embrace this truth that when life is too difficult to stand, we learn to kneel. It's just like, okay, this is hard. I'm not even going to try to stand. This is hard. I'm not even going to try to make it look like I've got everything under control. When you're on your knees in desperation, you're the strongest you've ever been because you've got all of heaven behind you. This is when God backs up and says, angels, let's go. We're being called. Angels, let's go. Let's start moving. Those of you who go to church here, you know my favorite scripture. In Psalms 56, 9, it says in the Living Bible, every time you pray, the tide of the battle changes. So you go, I haven't prayed in 50 years. Well, start right now because that very next prayer is going to cause the tide of the battle to change. It, when we back up and we back up and we say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be laser focused on being and now I'm going to be committed to you, God. Let me see if I can illustrate this visually. Charles, can I get that? Um, uh, I was looking for uh, a mop this morning. I, I got this visual illustration on the way to church. Actually, I was looking for a broom, and I couldn't find a broom, so I just grabbed this Swiffer picker-upper at Walgreens. And uh, let's, let's hope it works. Isaiah, why don't you come on up here real quick? And um, I would do it, but uh, it's more fun to laugh at people. Uh, Isaiah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this, this mop, and I want you to, to balance it in this hand, all right? You can use this hand to stabilize it, but I want you to let go and just stabilize it, all right? All right, on account of whenever, go ahead. <laughs> Come on, give it to him. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, now, now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I'm asking you to do it again. I don't want you to, don't even listen to me because I don't want you to start thinking. You'll overthink it and mess up. But, so just block me out. The rest of us, I'm going to ask him to do it again, but I want us, watch his eyes. That's all I want you to do is just watch his eyes. All right, Isaiah, all right, do it again. All right. That's good. Give him a round of applause. Now, I had him do that during the first service. He didn't know what I was going to do. And he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so this was actually the second time he did it. I'm going to have somebody do it that's never done it before. Charles, come on up here. <laughs> never done it before. Never done it before. And, and I, just, I, I, I just got confidence in you, bro. All right. Just go ahead.
Do it again. I think you can do better than that. If it helps to hold it in your fingers, it might be easier. What did I tell you? I knew you could do it, bro. I knew you could do it. Give him a round of applause. It, here's the thing. I can bring up probably every single one of you, and, and whether some will be better than others, but all of you will instinctively look up. Every single one of you will instinctively look up. Nobody has to tell you, hey, I want you to look to the top. Because you recognize that what you're looking up to determines everything else. Nobody will go like this. Nobody will grab it and go like this. You can't do it. But if you keep your eyes laser focused on looking up, it's amazing what you can do. And that is the point of this whole thing. Keep your eyes looking up. Keep your eyes looking up. Thank you, Charles. So that's the next point. If you can write that down, keep it in your heart. And then as we progress, point number three, during a season where you're being placed, not only is it earmarked by difficulty, not only is it earmarked by prayer, but then you're also backing up and you're recognizing that promises are being kept. I've said this before. I want to keep on saying it. There's only one type of loyalty, and that's total. You can't be partially loyal. There's only one type of loyalty. And so when you back up and you say, okay, God, if you, I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like this, if you help me get through this, I promise all. Has anyone prayed a prayer like that? You have, if you've ever bought a lottery ticket, you've prayed that prayer. <laughs> if you, God, if you let me win, I promise. Are you with me? <laughs> Come on. I promise I'll give a whole bunch of money to the poor. Just let me win a billion dollars. So here, here's the reality, that when we back up and we make promises, it, when promises are being honored, because God vows to bless people who keep their vows. And see, Hannah said, Lord, I'm desperate, but I'm going to keep on praying. I'll make a vow to you if you give me a boy after I wean him off, when he's still a toddler, even though he's my only boy, if you just give me one boy, just give me one, I promise I'll bring him to the temple and I'll let him live there forever. I'll let him what we would call an intern. I'll drop him off at the temple. I'll let the preacher, the prophet, the, the priest, Eli, I'll let him raise him. And sure enough, wouldn't you know that the Lord heard that vow? I just want to let you know, the Lord hears your vows. He heard vows that some of you have said years ago. I want to encourage you, go back and honor that vow. You said it years ago. I just feel like this is for somebody in the room. I want you to know that that meant a lot to you when you gave the vow. It meant a lot when the Lord heard the vow and you've left that vow. I want you to go back 
and stand before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I'll start, I'll pick up that vow, I'll resurrect that vow right now. Because there's blessings attached to those vows. So she brought Samuel to the tabernacle. She hugged him, she kissed him, and she looked at the priest Eli and said, he's yours now. And I'd like for the remainder of this particular point uh, to be unpacked uh, with the help of my wife. Allie, why don't you come on up here? Would you make her feel comfortable? Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just wanted to emphasize how Hannah was faithful and how she kept her vows and how important that was. Because before Samuel could be Samuel, and he was great, Hannah had to be a mom. She had to be his mother. And it was, um, it, it just speaks to me because um, I learned long ago, I had, you know, Hannah being faithful, I have to be faithful. And oftentimes that faithfulness comes without recognition. And, you know, there's lots of us moms here. We do a lot of things without recognition. I know I was talking to my friend Sarah Stevens over there, and I think she had, sorry to throw you out there, but had counted how many lunches she had left to pack for the rest of the year. And she, I think she said 52 lunches left because there's about 26 days of school. You know, we do so many things. We slap the peanut butter and jelly together, and we do so many things that we, we just faithfully do it all the time. And, you know, I'm, I have an 11-year-old, I have an 8-year-old, and I have a, a 2-year-old, and there's a lot that comes with that mixture of ages. You know, I've got one almost a teenager. She's crying, and she might be emotional for one reason. I've got a 2-year-old who's crying and emotional for another reason. And then i got my 8-year-old over there. They're both crying at the same time, and he's, Mom, I need a drink. And I'm like, ah! Just cut, you know, there's just those moments where it's like, beep, beep, beep. I need to get out of here. Like, eject button, please. Just eject me out of it. And, I, you know, there's just moments where we just have to stay faithful. You know, I, I'll tell you a couple, I'll open the window to our life with our son. It's, it's quite interesting. It's, it, he's eight, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm faithfully raising him as a boy, but it doesn't go without a week that I have to remind him at least one of the days to go back upstairs and put underwear on under his shorts. It just, for some reason, it doesn't go in one day a week at least I have to remind him. And, you know, this happened a couple weeks ago. He, he, I said, Luke, go take a shower, which is always an issue, always a battle, always a fight. I said, go take a shower. So he's in there for about 10 or 15 minutes, and he comes back out. He's got his towel wrapped around him, and his hair's dry. And I'm like, hold up. You've been in there for 15 minutes with running that water, okay? And water isn't cheap around here. But running that water, your hair's dry. Did you use soap? No. Did you wash your hair? No. You didn't tell me to use soap, Mom. You didn't tell me to wash my hair. I'm just, it's just those moments where you're like, help me, Lord. But, you know, he's, he's just, he's my boy. You know, Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm the pastor's wife, and here I am dragging my son to church. Every Sunday morning he wakes up and he says, Mom, I don't want to wake up. Why do we only get a two-day weekend? Why? Five days a week I go to school. I get two days off. Now you're making me get up again. You know, it's just a constant, always just turning him, just giving him that little nudge to just, you know, raise him right. And so one day I want him to say, thank you, Mom, for dragging me to church, even though I was the pastor's son. <laughs> but, 
But you know, the biggest thing is we just got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. Because the Lord can do what we can't do as moms. Only he can do what we can't do. Only he can remind us and tell us things. And the Holy Spirit can come bring to remembrance and bring things to our mind that we need to know or we need to do or creative ways to raise these kids. And you know, there's so many of us that drive our kids around, and we're driving here and there, and we're faithful. And then there's a lot of us that are just praying that when they're driving themselves, they're okay. You know, we got to raise them, we got to protect them, and then we we have to give them wings. And how hard is that? We've had them all this time, and now we got to let go. Now we got to let them have a little bit of wings, and then bigger wings, and then even greater wings. And it's just our faithful duty to just raise them right. And you know, Hannah was faithful. You know, she, she fed Samuel, she uh, prayed for Samuel, she clothed Samuel. Every year she'd bring him a coat to the temple and she'd make it just a little bit big so that as he grew that year, he'd grow into the coat and it would last. And I, I just think how incredible is she because how heartbreaking would it be to, you prayed for this son all this time and then you had to give him back and give him up. But with great sacrifice comes great reward. And she got to look at that, and the Lord honored her for her sacrifice. You know that she went on to have five more children. She had three more boys and two girls. And I know the Lord is the Lord of more than enough, but at that point, I probably would have said, God, this is enough. <laughs> Five's enough. You bless me. Uh, I have three, and I'm like, that's enough. But, you know, he's, he's the God of more than enough, and he blessed. He opened her womb and gave her five more children. And so I just want to say today, and my last point here is that the impact of a mother can never, ever fully be measured. And I just want your eyes to turn to the video on the screens, and I hope you're blessed by it. Here's your last and final point for the morning. 
when a nail is being placed, it requires partnerships. Yes, the circumstances are difficult. Yes, it requires a lot of prayer. Yes, you have to honor your vows. But at some point, all of us need partnerships. You know, I remember um, when my father was raising me, me and my dad, when we grew up, we were best, best friends. We were best friends. So if, if I were walking up these stairs and I tripped and busted my nose, my dad would be like, that was the best fall I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Nobody can fall like my boy. No one, we're, just, we're just best friends. And I remember him telling me, he goes, you know what, Frankie, there's going to come a day where I can no longer take you where you need to go someone else is going to have to step in and and help me. And I remember telling him, no, sir, like you walk on water. And it wasn't just a few years later, I was 17, 18 years old, and I was just running the streets, acting foolish. I just need to say this before I forget. Everything my wife said about my son that stays in the room. If somebody says something, I got to be a dad here for a second, okay? If somebody says something to my son, he already doesn't want to come to church, okay? <laughs> He'll never want to come back. I just got to be a dad for a minute. But um, uh, it, it, I remember being 16, 17, and I'm running the streets, and I'm just, I don't know how to, just being bad. Let's just do it, say it that way. In fact, last night, we went out for Mother's Day last night because Sundays are busy for us, and my daughter was sitting at the table and she was overhearing the conversation with my wife and I. And, and my wife said, um, so you didn't take your SAT? And I said, no, I never took an SAT. She said, you never took an ACT either? I said, no. She goes, how'd you get into college? I said, well, I had to take a placement test to get in. And she goes, why didn't you take your SAT? I said, well, what had happened was <laughs> I was scheduled to take it. Uh, I signed up to take it. It was a Saturday morning, except I was out till four o'clock in the morning the night before. Downtown Beaumont, where just a bunch of great things are happening. Um, <laughs> and uh, my alarm went off two hours after I went to sleep, and I just woke up. I was like, that's not going to happen. Pulled the plug out of the wall and went back to sleep. And I look across the table, and my daughter, who's 11, is looking at me like. And I said, you know, Daddy had to work on some things. And what was interesting is when I was 17, 18 years old, my dad, he didn't even know where I was because he was letting me have some wings. He was scared to death. There was this red-headed lady in our church. I'll never forget. Her name was Miss Olivier. She would walk up to me every Sunday, and she would point me with her old nail. <laughs> I'll never forget looking at that nail like. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. <laughs> but she had the... <laughs> she just... <laughs> Oh, Lord. But she would poke me in the chest, and she would say, you are a man of God. 
And I'd be looking at her like, you have no idea what I did last night. You have no idea. She would poke me in the chest and say, you are a man of God. You are a man of God. And it was so wild because I would come into church with a migraine headache being hung over from the night before. And it was so interesting because even though I was acting so foolish at night, I would still come to church the next morning. I'd drive myself to church because my parents raised me to be a nail. So I'd come walking in, hungover, headache, eyes bloodshot. But it's Sunday. I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday. Now, I had to say I'm sorry 50 million times. I said, God, I know I've said sorry for this a thousand times. I'm just going to say sorry again. But I knew instinctively I got to be in the house of God on Sunday. But she would poke me in the chest and she would say, you're a man of God. You're a man of God. And I'm looking at her like, you're a man of God. You're a man of God. She didn't know it till years later. But she was partnering with my dad. Something happened at some point. She looked across the sanctuary and she just had this burden for me. And she would just poke me in the chest every single Sunday. I'll never forget. And I can't believe this. If I were a crier, I'd cry right now. Um, She told me that she had this dream about me the night before and she said, I saw this board hanging on your neck. And it said that you were sold out. What was so crazy is I'm looking at her and I'm like, wrong guy, that's not me. And she goes, you are sold out and should poke me right in my chest. Now here I am, 25 plus years later, and I'm holding this board, talking to you guys. If I had more string, I'd hang it on my neck because somebody had to partner with my dad to come up and poke me in the chest. And I just want to say to somebody out there, sometimes it's your own kid Sometimes it's somebody else's kid. Sometimes they're older than you. Sometimes they're younger than you. But God will put a burden on your heart for somebody and you spiritually adopt them and and you do what comes natural to you, whether it's poking them in the chest or texting them at night or emailing them or calling them or whatever. But you adopt them because when somebody's being placed as a nail, there's so many things going on on, it requires not just vows, not just prayers, but it involves partnership. And there's that old African proverb that we've all heard. It takes a village to raise a child. Guess what? It takes a village to raise a strong nail. Somebody say, I am a nail. 